0: We are deep into a uh, teaching series uh, here on, uh, on my teaching weeks. Uh, and this series is called Emotionally Healthy. <clears throat> this series is really about becoming an emotionally healthy church made up of emotionally healthy people. And we said that one of the reasons this is important, one of the reasons that we believe that we should be talking about this and learning about this is because Jesus was an emotional being and Jesus was emotionally healthy. So then part of the process of becoming more like Jesus, that's the process we're engaged in and following him, is to become more emotionally mature and more emotionally healthy. So we started off this series asking the question, what if all of our emotions are places to meet with God? What if God is already there waiting for us? So, so far, uh, I want to just kind of recap real quickly where we've been. So far, we've looked at the, and I think I have a, I have a, just want to kind of put that in front of you to uh, just as a visual here, but here's where we've been. We've looked at the example of Jesus' emotional health. We talked about his spiritual practices, the importance of silence and solitude and prayer. We've talked about family of origin and breaking the power of the past as it relates to that. We've talked about our identity, and our calling. And then we talked about accepting the gift of our God-given limitations. We talk a lot about our God-given strengths and our God-given abilities, but we talked about our God-given limitations and seeing that as a gift and accepting it as such. We've talked about pace of life and hurry sickness. Not sure how that's going for you. Um, Last month, we talked about the tyranny of living for the approval of others. And then last time, we talked about embracing grief and loss. I kinda feel like we're just getting started. This is part eight, I think, if if I'm counting right, and uh, I've still got a ton of topics I wanna talk about, so we're gonna see where this leads us. If you've missed any of these in these weeks, I just really encourage you to go to the the media player on our website, that's what you're looking at there. You'll find it under the messages tab at faithcommunityfellowship.com. You can listen right there if that's what you prefer to do, or you can download the audio to whatever device you use, or you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you find podcasts. I use iTunes. You can find us there, um, and you can get caught up, or you can go back and listen. and like, did he really say that? And you can go check and see if I did. My prayer for all of us in this series is uh, for us as individuals, for us as married couples, for us as families, as households, as a church, is that God would bring us to a place of emotional maturity and emotional health, as followers of Jesus, that's our prayer. Today I want to just read a few verses uh, as we get started, and this is from uh, the uh, book of Ephesians, this is a letter uh, from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, and this is a passage that is one of those that I've, it's one of my most taught, most preached on uh, passages of scripture for me. Um, And uh, so I want to use this as a springboard for where we're going this morning. Let me read this, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. We could just stop right there, right? Because there's the admonition for today. Let's go work on that. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. How much of our talking is about benefiting those who are talking, right? Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. A A little theology in there. Get rid of bitterness, Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I love how he just says, get rid of it. There's no how-to, it's just do it. You know, it's like, well, that's really helpful, Paul. Thanks a lot. Verse 32, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's where we're going to spend some time this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this uh, time together as as a family, um, I pray that you would uh, just illuminate the truth of Scripture today. I pray that as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit would have uh, just uh, margin in our lives and in our minds right now to just to speak to us, to show us uh, what you want for us to hear. God, I pray this process that you've begun in us these last few weeks as we've been talking emotional health, that it would continue today as we start to talk about some concepts that really affect our relationships. And... Uh, pray that we would be able to live in the peace uh, that you've given us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if, uh, are you intrigued at all by urban legends? You know what I mean by urban legends? Um, just Google urban legends sometime. If you want to spend some time in a rabbit hole. Because, wow. Um, I am tr- intrigued by them. I really am. And I, I love debunking them. I try every time I get a chance on Facebook when somebody you know who you are, post something like, do this or the whole, everything's gonna implode and if you don't do it, then they're coming to get you and that kind of thing and I love correcting people on that because it's what God called me to do. So, um, (laughs) I, (laughs) uh, like the things people believe, yeah, yeah, anyway. Um, But you know what's weird? (laughs) Is that some urban legends um, have found their way, first of all, some of them are actually they have a little a bit of truth. They've started around a little kernel of truth and then they just just kind of exploded into this nonsense, right? But what's weird is that some urban legends have found their way into our thinking in the church. And urban legends are those things that everybody uh, kind of thinks they know, uh, but it really isn't so, right? And maybe it has a ring of truth to it, but, and you say it and then you're like, wait, wait, is that actually, that doesn't sound right, you know? Um, and the more that you explore it, you mo- the more that you then discover the truth behind it. There are also some spiritual urban legends, that's what I'm gonna call them today, spiritual urban legends that we believe, and upon closer examination, simply aren't so. So we need to be careful to not put God's uh, put words in God's mouth. Sometimes we need to bore down a little deeper than the cliched responses and catchphrases. And the reason I mention this is uh, I believe there are some really destructive urban legends in the church around the idea of forgiveness. See, so it only took me a few minutes to get right there because <laughs> this, this is where we're going to park for the rest of our time today. And I've always known this to be true, that there's a little there's confusion and there are things that we believed about forgiveness that aren't necessarily true and certainly aren't what God has said about it. Um, and maybe because we've been talking about emotional health for a few weeks now, and I'm finding that, I am find that people uh, typically have some pretty heavy junk that they're dealing with when it comes to their past and it comes to their past relationships, current relationships with parents, step-parents, siblings, whatever, When their children, their adult children, when it comes to their employers, their business partners, whatever. And I've discovered that there's a truckload of misinformation about what people are saying that the Bible says about forgiveness and how God defines forgiveness and what our responsibility really is when it comes to forgiveness. So today I want to expose a myth about forgiveness, specifically the myth that says that some things can't be forgiven. And as we get ready to expose what Satan says and compare it with, because we believe that there is a personification of evil. We believe that there is an enemy of our soul, we call him Satan. And we take what he has to say and compare it to the truth and to see how if we listen to the lies, how that impacts us. And how if we listen to the truth, how then our lives can be lived out. So today we're gonna look at several different passages of scripture. Um, For those of you who've been around listening to me teach for a while, first of all, thank you and God bless you. uh, (laughs) You know that I like to take a passage, kind of stay there, walk through it, maybe draw out a single truth through it, talk about that single truth over and over and over again. Sometimes I like to walk verse by verse through a narrative, through a story in the Bible, draw out the dominant theme. Today's one of those days where I'm going to jump around quite a bit in the scripture and I'm going to touch on several different passages. So this morning, more than some weeks, this would be a great week for you to use your Bible app because we have uh, all a bunch of the scripture that we're going to use this morning right there ready to go. So let's get into this, exposing Satan's lie that some things can't be forgiven. This whole idea flows out of a role that Satan has a role that Jesus talked about and experienced, a role that the Old Testament uh, uh, character Job mentioned, a role that you and I have experienced, and that is that he loves to take on the role of the accuser. And as we get started, let's, let's look at this ancient lie as it plays out in three different kind of scenarios. So Satan's ancient lie that some things can't be forgiven shows up in these, at least these three ways. So number one is that there are some things that God won't forgive an ancient lie they're either too big or they're too bad and the enemy the accuser comes along and says man there's no way God can forgive that there's no way God can look the other way on that one there's no way God can overcome that the second version and you're like "Ah, I don't think I believe that okay second maybe you've heard it this way number two there are some things we can't forgive there are some things that are too big or too bad and we sometimes come up with, with this mindset that says, there's just no way I could forgive that. A couple things about this lie. We tend to uh, blow things off by saying, I'm not ready for that. I can't do that yet. Even when God has told us to do it. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, but we, we sit there for way too long. When it comes to forgiveness, that's one way that this shows up. So, so kind of, we'll just kind of bookmark that and come back to it. And often when you feel like, oh my goodness, I, I, I can't forgive that, first of all, listen, you're absolutely right. You can't on your own, in your own power, in your own flesh ability, like you as a human, fall short of being able to forgive that. You're right. But sometimes uh, we can't forgive simply because we have defined forgiveness to mean something that God never intended it to mean. Sometimes we've attached meaning to forgiveness that God never attached to it. Sometimes we think we're expected to do something that God never asked us to do when it comes to forgiveness. And whenever we have a twisted, inaccurate definition of what forgiveness is, it's not accurate, and we tend to look at this at a scenario and think, well, that's not possible. Forgiveness isn't possible here, I could never forgive that. If our definition of forgiveness is not lined up with what God wants us to do, then the enemy has us right where he wants us, because we're confused now. Does this make sense to you? Because we're like, well, I can't do that, and we don't realize that God never asked us to do that, whatever we think that is. He's asked us to forgive as he defines forgiveness. Then the third version of the lie, is, is number three, is that sometimes we just have to fight fire with fire. Hey, you know, it's like, hey, I realize most of the time, most of the time we're supposed to, you know, return good for evil. I realize most of the time we're better off to just trust the Lord with that. But you know, hey, let's be real, let's be honest. There are some situations where it's so bad, they're so complicated, so complex. The only way to deal with it is fight fire with fire. When the enemy has us there, when we are returning evil for evil, no matter what our excuse might be, he has us right where he wants us. So, with that little bit of background, an overview of what these three things are, let's dig into the truth about God's forgiveness and dispel this myth that some things can't be forgiven. So, what is the truth about forgiveness? I want to give you a couple things, because um, we need to understand uh, some things about God's ability to forgive us and our ability to forgive others. So the first thing, if you want to write this down, number one is that, understand, Satan is the great accuser. That's the role that he loves to play. He is the great accuser. I mean, that's what scripture says, and you get to, uh, when you listen to an accusation that says, you've gone too far, you could never be forgiven, when you look at someone else, and you put out your own accusation, and you're like, look at that, that could never be forgiven, it has this trickle down. And in each and every case, you are not listening to the spirit of God, you're not listening to truth or to wisdom, you're listening to the lie of the enemy, the great accuser. Let me show you where this concept comes from. In the book of Revelation, right at the very end of the Bible, the last book in the Bible, there's this this passage in Revelation 12, this is verse 10, starts in verse 10, says, I heard a loud voice in heaven, says, and this is the voice, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of our Messiah. In other words, this, this angel is shouting out that it's done, the Lord is returning, then notice what he says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So this is like Satan's number one thing. And when you hear that little voice in your head that says, nah, God will never forgive you for that one. Or when you look at someone else whose wickedness and sin offends you and you're like, oh no, 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 not that one, not that one. You cross the line, God won't forgive that, I won't forgive that. You're not buying into the truth, you're buying into a lie from the accuser of our brothers and sisters. ever read the story of Job in the Old Testament? How many of you have read the story of Job? You're familiar with the story of Job? You might want to take some time, if you haven't read it this week or it's been a while, take some time this week and read it. You could get through it in a week and I'm just gonna warn you, push through it because the first few chapters are weird there they are they're just weird and i don't even understand the theology of it all i don't try and don't try to figure that out just get past that cuz there are some things that god there's some questions raised that god decided not to answer okay and so we'll get an answer and for now i'm okay with that that don't have the answer but somehow the enemy And the angels were in the presence of God and Satan steps up and he begins to accuse who he sees as God's number one faithful person on earth, a guy named Job. And God's like, uh, this is the most righteous guy on the earth, Satan. And Satan's like, well, of course he is. Look at everything that you've done for him. Look at everything you've given him. Of course he's righteous because you're blessing him like crazy. And for reasons that I don't understand and I, I would like to know someday how this all works, God says, okay, I'll pull my blessings away. And what we know is the trials of Job begin. And all through his story, he still doesn't curse God. When you're reading the book of Job, be very careful not to, not to proof text and pull verses out because I know sometimes we do that. We're like, oh, that's a great verse. And most of Job is his comforters not comforting. Because well, what they're giving him is more urban legend. <laughs> They aren't giving him truth. So be careful what you pull out of there and post on your Instagram because that may be, it's in the Bible, yeah, but it's com- coming from a voice of someone who's actually not speaking truth. Does that make sense? Anyway. Um, to the point where, where Job's wife, it got so bad his wife is like, well, just, why don't you just curse God and get it over with? Just curse God and die. Like, thanks for your support, hon. So Satan comes back again and he's, only, he's like, he's only doing this because you, uh, you haven't touched his body. You haven't affected his health. I've only been able to attach, attack and touch his possessions and his family. So God's like, okay, then, let's go to the next level. Go ahead, take away his health. And he goes through all these trials, loses his possessions, loses his wealth, loses all the stuff. He loses his health, and he still refuses to turn on God. I don't know, sometimes I think all this story does is raise more questions than answers for me, except for one thing. To understand Satan's role as the accuser. That's crystal clear to me. And every time I look in the mirror and I accuse myself, and every time I look at someone else and I accuse them, I am not doing the work of God. I am doing the work of the enemy. And I wish more of us really, I wish we really understood this. Just in terms of, you know, where those areas where we don't necessarily see eye to eye. Because there are areas where you and I don't always agree on everything, correct? Okay. So... Like, there's a hockey game tonight, so that, just start with that. Some of you, well, sorry, that's borderline blasphemy, I understand, sorry. Um, some of you might be brand new to this church and I apologize for all of this, but if you're new to church in general and Christianity and the whole deal, uh, you might not be aware of this, but sometimes Christians fight with one another. No. Who knew? Who knew that it happens in churches? One church to another within church, this section of the church versus this section of the church. Glad the seat's filled up a little bit. You're doing better now. you got a better chance. So, uh, you know, but we it's the truth. Sometimes we do, we don't see, usually over really temporary and obscure stuff. That's what we fight about. I know me, I'm I'm with you, let's start a revolt. I hope you're missing the purple curtains because I'd love to get that fight started. Um, You're like, I didn't notice that, I knew something was different. We fight about the things that aren't so clear. Christians will write books and magazine articles and they'll blog about it and they'll protest. And they they protest, first of all, I think Christians protesting non-Christians is... I'm not sure how much of a representation of Jesus that is, but Christians protesting other Christians, uh, I think, just breaks his heart. And uh, we do these things to one another over obscure issues. And every time we do, we think we're helping God out. We're like, I'll do this for you. I'm representing you, God. You could do it without me, so I'm going to get in there and fight the battle for you. It's, Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't take that swing, so I'm going to. And reality, we're doing the work of the enemy. The one who accuses our brothers and sisters, Revelation says, day and night. Second thing we need to know about God's forgiveness, whether it's for us or for others, that God loves to turn his enemies into family. That's his agenda. Like, what does God want for my life? That's what he wants for our lives. That's what he wants. Just as the enemy loves to accuse, God loves to come along and take those who are in that position themselves as enemies not only turn themselves into friends but then he adopts them into his family and frankly I think sometimes uh, there's nothing that frustrates some Christians more than that you know because we don't mind that, that he forgave us but once we're in the family we don't really like want the rest of the um, riffraff coming in let's just you know that's what we're saying yeah. like you just let them off the hook God how'd you do that what's that all about i was just trying to think of an example. And uh, every time a political season rolls around, which is non-freaking stop—can I say that in church? Non-stop, it's political season. We used to get a three-year reprieve from that, but a reprieve from that. But now we're—I don't know. Every time some celebrity figure says something that you think uh, you interpret as being anti-this or that or something else. Um, Sometimes it's just nothing short of hatred by Christians towards people who are sometimes unknowingly advancing the enemy's agenda. And I think nothing is more unlike God to want to see them put down and destroyed. That's that's Satan's role. Jesus said he came to rob, kill, and destroy. Paul said, while we were God's enemies, he died for us. Not because we said, hey, God will make a deal. If you pay the price, I'll cross the line. If you pay the price, I'll I'll become your friend. No, while we were his enemies. So I want you to see... um, with your own eyes where this is coming from because throughout history, uh, this isn't just about modern day Christianity, this has been going on for a long time. God's people and their leaders have often forgotten this simple principle. So let's take a look at a passage in uh, another kind of obscure and interesting book, in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. um, I doubt that you've done much reading in Ezekiel lately, unless that's where your reading plan happens to land you right now. But this is is another strange book that requires a lot of context. To understand and to apply um, and even if the, you don't find the book weird I'm going to tell you Ezekiel himself was a strange one but uh, God used him and he preserved his message for us. Ezekiel chapter 33 so the Lord speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to the nation of Israel and to their leaders here's what he says verse uh, chapter 33 verse 11 he says say to them so the Lord saying to Ezekiel, say to the people of Israel, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. The heart of God is to forgive. That doesn't mean there's not a price to pay. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences. Doesn't mean that there's not a real heaven and a real hell. But the heart of the Lord is not one that takes pleasure in the death of, in the words of Ezekiel 33, the wicked. Because that's the last straw. He does everything he can to see them turn. And if anybody doubts that, you just need to look at the cross of Jesus. Let me read on, verse 14, Ezekiel 33. If I say to a wicked person, you will surely die. You know that's a bad day. When you hear God say, you've crossed the line. You are a dead man. Okay, that's, a, that's bad. But they, they then turn away from their sin and do what is just and right. If they give back what they took and pledge for a loan, for example, or return what they have stolen, or follow the decrees that give life, and they do no evil, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the sins that person has committed will be remembered against them. They've done what is just and right, and they will surely live. So the enemy's lie is that there are some things that God can't forgive. Because there's some things God can't forgive, There are some things we can't forgive or maybe shouldn't. And the truth is, there's nothing he won't forgive. That truth needs to be seen in two ways. It needs to be seen as we look at others. And it needs to be seen when we look in the mirror. There are probably uh, some of us who are wondering, well, can I... Really, can I really step over the line and be adopted into God's family and change from the inside out? Is, I mean, I'm not sure, Todd, that you understand my story. I don't think you really know what I've done in the past. I don't know how thorough you do your background checks. I don't need to understand. Here's the deal. I don't need to understand what you've done in the past. We need to see other people through this lens of truth. That God takes no delight in the death or the demise or the judgment of the wicked. So how can we... I want to show you another passage passage that speaks to this uh, in the book of Timothy. So we're back over near the uh, end of the New Testament, the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Do you ever ever wonder why Paul was chosen as an apostle? You talk about backstory. You talk about uh, a sketchy and very thick background check result. Uh, You know, I mean... Out of all the possibilities, is he really the one, like he's the one God? He's the one you're gonna choose to plant all these churches to travel all over that part of the country and to write like half of the New Testament? He's the one, really? Why? Why did God choose him? Because he's so smart? Well, he was. Because he was so well connected? Yeah, but not in the way you wanna be. Because he was so respected? Not exactly. Because he was influential? Because he was dedicated? Because he had a great resume? Well, I think God did call him because of his resume, but in a different way than we think. Verse 15, 1 Timothy, do uh, we? First Timothy 1? Verse 15, Paul speaking. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am worst. I'm the worst. You want to know? I'm telling you, I'm the worst. You want to know what the scale looks like, what the spectrum is? I'm the worst. But for that very reason... I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Basically, Paul is saying, I got to be an apostle because I was the worst scumbag of them all. I was the worst. I was the loser of losers, the biggest sinner that you can imagine. So God says, you know what? I can't think of a better person to show everybody that they've got a chance than this guy, Paul. The weird thing is, 2,000 years later, we have Paul on a pedestal. We name children after him, boys and girls. Right. Some of you are named after Paul. We name cathedrals and hospitals after him. We name cities after him. He was changed by God, yes, right? The letters he wrote were inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for us. But if you read some of the stories in the book of Acts, in the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, and read about some of the things that he did and the things he said and how he treated people, you can't help but think, man, what a monster this guy is. But we don't let ourselves think about that because we're talking about the Apostle Paul. I think God picked him because he was, he was a jerk sometimes. He was a monster most of the time. So we can look at Paul and realize we get into... There's forgiveness for us too. There's mercy for us too. God can use us too. Just like any other jerk and loser, He can use us too. He picked him. Paul says because he's the worst of sinners. So I think that's kind of the truth about forgiveness. Some things God can't forgive. No, 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 no. Want to have an interesting uh, conversation over coffee this week? you can invite me out, and we can talk about the one thing that Jesus references very specifically that, uh, that kind of infers that God won't forgive this, and uh, we can talk about that. It's very specific, and I think you're fine, so don't, don't worry about it, um, but it'll be a fun conversation if you want to have that, you want to go that deep. Well, I'm going to text already. Sure. Monday afternoon? No. Okay. <laughs> um, what about this idea that there are some things that we can't forgive? What about that? I mean, I could do a whole message on that point. I could do a whole series. I could write a book. Books have been written, so I'm not gonna bother. Um, my thoughts today on this are kind of a flyover, but let's talk about this idea that some things are just too big, just too wrong to forgive. Let me down, lay down some principles that I think the Scripture is pretty clear on. The First of all is that forgiveness is not an option. For the follower of Jesus, forgiveness is not an option, it's a requirement. So for you, for me to say, well that's just too big, I'm not quite there yet. You know, when it comes to forgiving, that particular offense, that particular sin against me or against someone I care about, let me process that for a while. Listen. Forgiveness is not like the the gold package for the elite Christian. It's the expectation of every follower of Jesus. One of the most famous and most quoted passages in the Bible, we mistakenly call it the Lord's Prayer, is in Matthew chapter six. And if you're still in First Timothy, you can just go back a little bit to Matthew uh, chapter six. And this might sound um, borderline blasphemous depending on what your church background is or at least a little sacrilegious, but there's no magic in repeating the words of this prayer. The power is found in following the example of Jesus. That's where the power is. This is, how, this is how we should approach our Heavenly Father. In fact, Matthew has a version of the Lord's Prayer and Luke has a version of the Lord's Prayer and they're slightly different. So um, if you think you somehow have to recite a certain prayer a certain way, you might want to do both of them just to make sure you get it right, okay? Or maybe merge them together. It's not something to be recited. And there's nothing wrong with reciting it, but it's, it, there's a bigger point. It's a model to be followed, It says this, though. Let's read the words. Jesus speaking. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. So how did Jesus teach us to pray? Lord, forgive me in the same way that I have forgiven others. Not sure how often you pray those words. Oh, and just in case we miss it, there's a, little, uh, there's a little part here that I wish we would memorize as well if you just keep reading in this passage. In verse 14, it says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, which is cool. But here's a verse that never finds its way into like, onto Christian merchandise. or like You don't probably have a t-shirt with this on it. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You're like, ooh, I don't like that one as much, I know. (laughs) It's the lie of the enemy that says you can't forgive. You're like, I don't like that verse 15, that's a a tough one. It's because you think you can't do it but it's the lie of the enemy that says you can't forgive because when he's got you living where you can't forgive, guess what, he's got you living where you're not thriving in your own forgiveness. You aren't experiencing the forgiveness that's already been extended to you by your heavenly father. Next thing about forgiving others is that forgiveness always starts with a look in the mirror. It always starts with a look in the mirror. I don't really have time to tell the story, but if you read in Matthew chapter 18, it's a story of the unforgiving servant who refused to forgive a fellow servant of a small amount compared to a huge amount that he'd been forgiven, and the application is pretty obvious, but uh, go back and read that in Matthew 18. And throughout the Gospels, uh, wherever Jesus taught on forgiveness, and all throughout the New Testament, whenever the apostles wrote about forgiveness, it always begins with a mirror. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgive us our trespasses or forgive our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. God will forgive as you forgive. And the weird thing is, and I'll let, again let the theologians argue about this one, this is the, at the end of a story of um, the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, a king who had forgiven the debt of one who then went out and wouldn't forgive someone else. And the king reinstated the debt on the one who wouldn't forgive. Does that mean God reinstates our sin debt? I don't know, I'll leave that for people who are a lot smarter than me. I think it'd be really cool to just get a Calvinist and an Arminian in a room in a cage, maybe lock him in and let them go at it. I'd love to watch that. All I know is that God says forgiving others is a really big deal. We get hung up on the things that aren't clear to us, so we don't apply the things that are crystal clear. The crystal clear part is that forgiving others is an expectation for the follower of Jesus. A few minutes ago I said that if the enemy can get us to define forgiveness to where it's something weird or impossible or far beyond what God asks us to do, that some of us would reject the notion. So let's talk about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Especially in light of this, that there, there are two realms of forgiveness. There's, there's an eternal realm and there's an earthly realm. God's eternal forgiveness is like a clean slate, right? When you, you and I stand before the Lord... The old is not brought up again, it's a clean slate. But even God's forgiveness in the earthly realm is not necessarily a clean slate because there are still consequences, so we need to understand that. So uh, let's just put it in a sound bite, okay? It would be this. That forgiveness is not pretending that nothing happened. We're gonna talk about forgiveness, what forgiveness is not. It's not pretending that nothing happened. It's not forgive and forget. A lot of us kind of picked up this idea and it's been repeated in the church for a lot of years, as long as I can remember. And we're like, I can never forgive that because we think that forgiving means acting like it never happened. That forgiving means I gotta forget about it, like just totally forget about it. Part of that is from the Old Testament, the Bible uses a phrase that says that when we're forgiven, the Lord remembers our sins no more. That's in Isaiah 43, where he says, "I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Um, I think it's the New American Standard that says, puts it this way, remember your sins against you no more. Because, I mean, how many of us have ever heard uh, the verse about God casting our sins into the sea? You know that verse I'm talking about, okay? You know, you know what the sea is called? What's it called? The sea of right, the Sea of Forgiveness, which is nice, but it's not in the Bible. We've, 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 we've called it the Sea of Forgiveness. Which contributes to our misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. When the Bible speaks of God not remembering something, it doesn't mean He has amnesia. It doesn't mean He has memory loss. He does. How, how can He be omniscient, which is all knowing, and forget something? It means He doesn't keep a list of our sins. He doesn't respond to us in light of what he knows about us. Of course he remembers what you did. He's God. I've even heard people say, teach this, which blows my mind, that if you confess your sin to God, he'll forgive you. And if you don't really believe that he forgave you and you confess it again, that he's like, what? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, there's a theological dilemma right there because that means there's something that God doesn't know. So think about that. What it means when it says that God remembers no more, it's not that he forgets, but that he doesn't respond to us in light of it. And this applies to us too. So this is God's definition of forgiveness. You ever forgotten something? Like ever. Have we all? I, think I You've forgotten more than you knew, right? Have you ever forgotten something on purpose? I've forgotten lots of things. I don't know how you forget something on purpose. I don't understand the mental process of forgetting something on purpose. Because I know how to remember something. I remember something by writing it down and putting it on my calendar, and then the phone reminds me. That's how I remember, okay? Does it, so. Does it work the same way? Here's my to-do list. Here are the things I have, the appointments I have today, the meetings I have to remember. Here's my uh, to-do list. And then over here's my to-forget list. Must forget, must forget, must forget. Check that off. Forgot that. Good, forgot that. How does that work? Think about it. And we're laughing because we're laughing at ourselves because we bought into a lie that forgiveness equals forgetting. The idea that our forgiveness of someone or of ourselves involves forgetting the offense is I don't know, I think it's a little bit crazy. It's oversimplified and it's impossible. But if it means to stay on our hard drive but to never be accessed again, that starts to make sense to me. Now it's doable. We need to check out how the word remember is used in other places in the scripture. Here's a great example. In Genesis 7, the last verse in uh, chapter 8 uh, last verse of chapter seven, into chapter eight, I should say, says the waters, this is about the, the flood in Genesis, says the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. It doesn't mean that God, some angel comes running into God and like, hey God, you left the hose on, you would not believe what's happening, you know? Right? And like, oh I rem- oh yeah, there's a guy out there in a boat, I forgot, I totally forgot about him, I got busy doing other things and I forgot. Oh man, poor Noah, I hope he's okay. <laughs> when God asks you to forgive, we need to understand he's telling us that we no longer take things into our own hands, we no longer get even, but he isn't saying you need to act as if it never happened. That'll drive you nuts. It's not possible, and it's not how God forgives us. And if Satan can get us to think that forgiving means absolutely forgetting, he's got, a, he's got us where he wants us, because a lot of us won't even think about forgiving because we don't know how to forget. And, it's, I mean, you know, you're pulling here today, and someone gets that parking spot that you really wanted. Well, it would never happen at church, but at Walmart after church... <laughs> You get over it, it slips your mind by tomorrow, you're fine with it. But the big ones, the real hurts in life, of course you don't forget that. So forgiveness is not about forgetting. Secondly, it's not about removing all the consequences. When God forgives, he doesn't remove all the consequences. The story of David is a great example of that in 2 Samuel 12 in the Old Testament. Especially verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12. This is after David's sin with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband and the prophet Nathan comes up and he says to him, here's this whole story, and by the way, this story's about you. You are the scumbag that I'm talking about. You're the one, you're the guilty one. And David confesses and all that, and he's told this. The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not gonna die. But because you've made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. There were a bunch of other consequences that would follow him throughout his life. Natural consequences. God forgave him. He gave him a second chance. He even writes scripture after this. We sing some of his words that he wrote after this. But there were certain consequences of those choices and behaviors that were never taken away. Sometimes we get the idea that if we forgive and then we forget and I just like, it's all over there. It's like great. Like things are great between us and we just have each other over on the 4th of July and, and it's just everything's great now. If, if you do something really bad to me or to somebody that I love, I don't immediately trust you again. It's a wisdom element here. Trust isn't something you just give everybody. Trust should be something that's earned. And what we tend to do when someone who has trusted us violates that trust, we first of all kick them out of our circle of trust, right? And they, to, to quote a famous philosopher, and they're like, uh, hey, you're holding that over my head because you don't trust me. What's the deal? You're holding this over my head. I thought you forgave me. I'm not holding it over your head at all. It's just that you're kind of back to square one with the trust thing. You've got to earn that back. Forgiveness means you've got a second chance, but it doesn't mean you're right back where you started. Does it make sense? Eternal forgiveness kind of works like a clean slate, but here on earth there are consequences. Forgiveness means, you know what, there's a possibility of a healthy relationship here. Let's see if we can rebuild this trust. I'm not gonna hold it against you anymore. Doesn't mean all the consequences are removed. It's gonna take us some time. It's gonna be work and it's gonna be messy. You with me so far on this? Anytime we're talking about forgiveness, and it's such a huge subject, um, I get all these questions afterwards, and um, usually I get, yeah, but what about? <laughs> right, that's usually the question I get. And let me tell you something about what, my story that you don't know. I think, the, um, I think the most common question I get after a talk about forgiveness is, yeah, that's all great and I think you're probably right on all that stuff, but what am I supposed to do, like how am I supposed to forgive the person, or am I supposed to give, forgive the person who just kind of like keeps bullying me and stealing my lunch, if you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about, that person, that difficult person in my life. Some people think you know, that if somebody's stealing, bullying me and stealing my lunch, I just, just make an extra sandwich. Because uh, Jesus said, you know, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile or whatever, you know, here you go. I'll just Let's take Jesus' words in context in light of everything that he taught. In Luke chapter 17, he's teaching and he says this. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. That, would, that applies to brothers or sisters. And if they repent, forgive them. But you don't say, you know, There's part of me you didn't run over yet, let me lay down so you can back over me again. The truth about our enemies is that, and and how you define enemy is totally up to you, right? Could just be the difficult person in your life. But here's the truth, evil for evil is always a bad move. There's never a situation to return evil for evil. Romans 12, I love this because uh, we might run into situations where uh, we'd like to kind of forgive, but they just won't let up. Ever been there? We'd like to move on, but they just keep poking at it, poking at it, poking at it, you know? You got this ex-spouse, or you got a former business partner, or you got an estranged family member, or whatever, and they just won't let it go, and they just keep throwing evil your way and keep making life, what do you do? Romans 12, verse 17. Again, the Apostle Paul, Spent a fair amount of his ministry time in prison. It's context. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I mean, how do you do that? I can always keep everybody happy, right? That's not what he means. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on who? As far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Yeah, but he won't, but she this and that. No, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Does that mean if we're really walking with God, if we're really like being this fully devoted follower of Jesus, that then it's just, we're just going to like magically live in peace with everyone? No. Might amp up actually. Jesus didn't get to live in peace with everyone all the time. Neither did the apostles. But as much as it's possible, they were returning good for evil. Verse 19 of Romans 12, Do not take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. And verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that leads to this very important principle that we're going to wrap up here. That evil for evil is always a bad move when it's being piled on and you're being treated unfairly. But catch this. Paul kind of says, if they don't stop, you can ask God to take care of it. I don't know if that means like, okay, God, get them. You know I, don't know, I don't know what that means. It's just like, trust God with it. He'll do whatever, okay? So take your hands off. And uh, I thought you might be offended by that, so I'm glad that you're not, because you're like, yeah, that's right. Um, it's, <laughs> that's kind of what Paul says. He's like, don't take it into your own hands to repay evil for evil. Uh, don't get your own revenge. Leave that with God. Just leave it with God. And he doesn't, you can give him some suggestions He's okay with that. He has his way. He'll deal with it. But when we do that, we remember God doesn't take delight in the demise of the offender. Or Ezekiel called it the wicked. It's like God's like, "Yeah, I was hoping you let me do that. I'll take over from here." And boy, are they going to pay? No, I don't think that. That's not His agenda. God's agenda for the person who's offended you is restoration. And in reality, when an enemy turns and becomes your friend, we're all okay with that, aren't we? Aren't we? So according to Luke 17, what we're to do is we're to rebuke. It doesn't mean you've got to yell at somebody. We think, I'm going to rebuke him and raise my voice and say some things. No, we're to just speak up, just speak the truth. And if nothing happens, we have every right to go to, you know, if, there's, if it's a, a legal thing, you go to the proper authorities. If it's in the context of a workplace, you go to the next level up or whatever. But you, you don't have the right to seek your own vengeance. So let me give you something to take home, basically a series of steps. And it, it's fine. It's going to take me about three minutes. Number one, when wronged, overlook it if you can. Okay? Got some wiggle room there. Do you see that? Okay? So overlook it if you can. You're like, are you kidding me? I said if you can. Okay. There's a proverb that says this in Proverbs 19 it says, it is a man's glory to overlook an offense. Hmm. Man, there's power in that. It's disarming. Think about all the kinds of things that we get all uptight about. You did this to me, you took advantage of me, you said this about me. We just, we just go right into rough, right full-on payback mode. It's like the playground scenario, you know, when one little kid hits another little kid, and the kid who gets hit does what? Hits back, yeah, yeah. You're like, he hit me back. But if you're like 40, and a little three-year-old comes up and hits you, you don't deck him, right? I hope. <laughs> Wait, you want to work in jammers? Let's talk about that. I don't know if that's the right fit for you. Um, I find myself asking all the time, do I need to respond to this or can I just let it go? Can I just get over this? So I go home and kick the dog instead, which works out great because I don't have a dog. So, um, Chill out, I just a joke and I don't have a dog. Number two, point it out. If you can't ignore it, you have every right to point it out to the person. And I don't mean point it out to everybody you know, point it out to the person. Don't get on social media, you would not believe when people, blah, 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 and you just withhold the names, but we're like, we know who you're talking about. <laughs> Go to the person. Go to the offender and say, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize how hurtful that is to me? You have every right to point it out. That's what the passage in Luke 17 says. Then, of course, it says rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Number three is get help. Uh, Matthew 18 uh, is a famous passage on this, as if your brother or sister sins, point it out. And if nothing happens, get a couple other people to go and point it out. There's a whole process there, and this idea of, of justice and getting help, but you're still not taking things into your own hands. And then number four is turn it over to God. Trust Him with the result, with the response because when he turns that archenemy of his into a family member, when he turns that enemy of yours into a friend, throw a party for that. Celebrate that because he's done for them what he's already done for you. And if it doesn't turn out that way, trust him anyway. Oh, by the way, just a, forgi- a, a definition that we can take home. Forgiveness, if you've heard me say this before, He's choosing to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. You're like, that's deep. Thank you very much. Not original with me. I believe, uh, I believe it's Philip Yancey's definition that I landed on a long time ago and never found a better one. Forgiveness is choosing to live with the consequences of someone else's sin. And Satan loves it when we don't know what forgiveness means. He loves it when we get it all confused and convoluted and add things to it. God loves it when we come to understand what it means. God loves it when he understand, when we understand what he's asking of us. Because when we really understand, it means we can live in freedom. It means we can live in peace. Knowing that we've been forgiven, we can live in abundance in our relationships with each other because we know what it is to respond appropriately when we've been wronged. And ultimately, then we've positioned ourselves to live a life that's characterized by worship, a life that is pleasing to God, a life that cries out in praise for the incredible mercy and amazing grace of God in our lives. The band's going to come and we're going to sing a song, sing a few songs together. Uh, next week, uh, I'm on again next week and we're going to follow up, but we're, I want to I let this percolate for seven days, okay? If you got a, Uh, listen again you got to go back to your notes save that event on the bible app it'll be there for a few more days and you need to save it so you can go back to it do some reading on forgiveness do some meditating on these verses of scripture let's 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 let it sit in us and and let's do some soul searching for the next week through the through the week i would really encourage you to go back and reread the scriptures that we read today or the ones that i even referenced but didn't read the next Sunday, just a heads up, and I never do this, but I want to give you a heads up because maybe you need to bring some people with you. We're going to go a step further because forgiveness is one thing, so we pretty much got that under control. Yeah, we mastered that this morning in less than an hour, It's so a good job. Uh, but we're going we're to let it sit in us and let God's Holy Spirit work in us this week. And we come back next week, we're going to take the next step and talk about reconciliation. That's God's desire for us in our relationship with him. And a lot of us in this room have experienced that and we live in that. We know what it is to be restored in our relationship with God, to be reconciled with our Creator and Heavenly Father. But we might be living with some difficult or even estranged relationships. So let's let God take the work that He's done in us and and work through us to do that in the lives of the people that we do life with. Okay? So there's there's your heads up. Let's get ready for that next week. Let's uh, stand together and let's sing.